Liam Sexton. Welcome to Talking Tory with Craig Leach and Liam Sexton. Our guest this week is um, Julia Rizika, the bassist from Future of the Left and also previously Million Dead, several other projects. Um, Julia's been a friend of ours for some time. We've met her on tour uh, around the world and different uh, festivals and shows and that sort of thing. Um, she's been touring for a long time, originally from Australia. Um, she's been in the UK for about 20 years, so we've been talking to her about... Uh, where she started, uh, her tips for touring when she started out, uh, her thoughts on gender disparity in the music industry and also her role as an educator. Um, so yeah, enjoy this episode. Okay, round three. Hi, Jules. Welcome to Talking Touring. <laughs> Why, thank you, Craig Lee. <laughs> that wasn't rehearsed whatsoever. <laughs> right, so this week, <laughs> this episode, we have got Julia. <laughs> she is the greatest human in the world. I'm well excited. Julia, hi. <laughs> Hello, Craig. Yeah, that's a lovely, <laughs> lovely introduction, and you are equally a wonderful human being. And so is Liam. It's so nice to Thank see you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, and that's why I said yes to this. It's because uh, the big bucks you were throwing my way. Brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. How are you, Jules? I'm very well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, busy. Obviously, it's been a very weird year. But when you, when Craig dropped me a line about this, I was, yeah, genuinely excited because, yeah, it's been one of those years which has been really challenging for people. And, again, being a musician, uh, when he mentioned that we're going to be talking touring, I was like, hell yeah, I'm well up for it because I missed it a lot. Um, you know, in my past with touring, you know, not just being on stage, but as you guys know, I was very involved with tour management. I always did a lot of the um, stuff behind the band as well in terms of, you know, merch, organising things, looking after the band. So I kind of, I do relate to both of you very well. I know, I know the pain of looking after the band. <laughs> Yeah. I think someone told me once that uh, tour managing is like riding a bike, except the bike is on fire and you're on fire and everything else is on fire. And I thought that was quite apt, to be honest. It is, yeah. I've been quite lucky, though. Um, I've had days like that on tour, but I think, yeah, the bands I've generally looked after or been in have been quite well behaved. Actually, I know I say that. Gosh, who am I kidding? No, well, generally, but, you know... <laughs> They, they have their moments. So, yeah, it's those days where you're like, everything's on fire and you're just like, yeah. it's funny, isn't it? Because like, I, I love touring so much. I, I think it's one of my favourite things to do in the whole world. Um, but even still, you get those days where, you know, you get the cabin fever, you've had enough, you hate everyone. And I'm sure yeah. everyone's going to say this in every podcast episode, but you just want out. And then you really exactly, we were just we were literally just talking about that being like right now, right this second, the fact that I'm getting excited about talking about touring with you, I'm really miss it. But I'm pretty sure day three, when someone's lost their hand luggage or lost their suitcase or a guitar string's broken and they haven't got a fucking headstock, I'm just gonna be like, I want to go back to sitting in my bedroom talking about the good old days. <laughs> 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 we're dickheads aren't we the grass is always greener isn't it yeah. I bet you thing, I do this every right? year I do it every year as well with festival season I'm sure you're both the same you start coming around to it you're like yes lots of festivals coming up good lineups can't wait bit of sunshine 
by the time it usually hits middle of June, I'm like, get me out of this fucking field. <laughs> I don't, don't want to see to another to field. <laughs> but that must be different that for you, different. Jules. Is that different for you? Like, like with with being an artist, like obviously going to a festival is way more exciting because at least you get to go on stage. Like for us, we kind of get people on stage and then it's like, they're done. Yeah. It's all the exciting <laughs> bits. <laughs> No, you're right. I mean, playing festivals, yeah, you know, easily one of my favourite things to do again. It's just, yeah, it, it's, even though I know with festivals it can be challenging because, you know, it, the sound isn't as good, you're rushed, you've got like a five-minute line check, um, you know, it's not as comfortable as playing venues, but there's a certain energy to a festival. It's super exciting. Yeah. Again, I'm just so grateful that in my lifetime I've got to play so many festivals, you know, not just in the UK, but obviously Australia, America, Europe, everywhere. So, and even the shit ones, I love the shit ones. Shit ones. I think the shit ones are the ones that are most memorable some of the time, like because definitely. I was definitely. thinking about it, like when you see someone, like sometimes there's people dressed up, like I, I literally can't think of any examples, but it's only at a festival where you see like people doing really fucking weird shit in the front row as well. Like, you just don't get that headline <laughs> shows. You don't. And then, oh, you get those festivals where you really, you know, the organisers genuinely don't know what they're doing. You don't get looked after. You know, you're kind of getting ready and pissing rain and you're drinking shit beer and, you know, and you can't fucking park the van anywhere and everything's running late and you can't find yeah. <laughs> However, there's something, what I really remember is that when you get those shitty circumstances, you're angry, you're, you're fucking reviewing all of your life choices, you're like, what am I doing here? But there's a certain kind of, I suppose, anger that feeds into your energy. So when you get, even at those crap festivals, when you get on stage, you kind of feed off that. Just have a blast, yeah, that, don't that, yeah, and then actually, what you're all—it's always the way that you've got this, you know, really stressful lead up to it. You're not getting looked after; it's really bad. And then you come out to a really great audience, you have a good time, and then you get out of there, and yeah. it's brilliant. And then you know, sometimes I played festivals where you looked after like you know royalty, and it's just a bit flat. Like you know, you get out yeah. there, you, you play really hard, and you you do your best, and the audience is just a bit meh. Of oh, the best. So just to do oh, a massive God. generalization, I would genuinely say a lot of the time when you feel really good, look like well looked after, and everything's going really well, something goes wrong in the show. It just seems to be the way oh. it goes. Just like especially with gigs I do, like when when I can't imagine anything else that could possibly be perfect about that day, then it all just falls to shit. <laughs> Absolutely, and I was just about to say, I remember one festival where we were on tour in Australia. It's quite a few years ago now, and we played a festival part as part of that tour, which is quite common, as you guys know, when you tour yeah. Oz, you try and tour around festival season because you yeah. plug extra shows in because there aren't yes. that many cities to play in Australia. So we played, I think it was called Pyramid Rocks or something, um, and it was like a New Year's Eve-type festival thing. And we did it because it's a gig, extra money, but it's a festival. <laughs> but I think, you know, the promoter probably didn't quite get our demographic and I think we were playing a festival for quite you know an audience that was a lot younger than what we used to as in you know yeah. not quite ready for the rage that was coming their way kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah they, they and I can't who was on before us I can't remember who was on before us but was it NERD like headline wow. it was just the the air yeah, the rest of the lineup was just so far removed from what we were 
And I remember we went on at, you know, some shit time, like four in the afternoon. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not kidding at all. It was about 42 degrees that afternoon. Jesus Christ. He stepped onto stage. It was, I mean, I'm from there, you know, so I'm used to the heat, but I was melting. We had to chuck all the gear on. Again, I mean, this was a festival where backstage you get looked after, but the conditions on stage were really rough because it was boiling and it was so bright as yeah. well. You couldn't you couldn't see any of the displays on your pedals. You couldn't yeah. see anything. And we just, we only flew in um, a couple of days before that. I remember our guitarist at the time, he just wasn't prepared. He came out on stage you know, in like full black jeans and boots <laughs> and just, you know, dressed for like a, a British festival. And yeah. he was oh, just, God. <laughs> everyone was just nothing. <laughs> And because it wasn't our crowd, I mean, we we looked out and we were playing to like I don't know, like it was a field for probably oh, ten thousand or something, and we played yeah. to like maybe two hundred. So it was really amazing. depressing. Oh. <laughs> it was always amazing. Lucky that the sun and the lights were bright enough that you couldn't see that though of it. Ah gosh, it was sh- yeah, that's true. Um, and but my sister was there and her friends. We had this small cluster. You yeah. know, going, yeah, you do it. Yeah, and which that, that makes was it that with? Was that Future of the Left? <laughs> that was Future of the Left, yeah. Mm. So, um, so wait, but then I was the rest just of thinking, talk- what we haven't done is we actually haven't talked about who you are. <laughs> just to jump oh. back a little bit, like because yeah, we've got straight yeah, over that bit. I was <laughs> going to say, anyone that's listening to it is, but who the fuck is this? <laughs> I mean, I- <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're like, who the fuck is this? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> who is this? So, can you just tell us a little bit? I mean, like, I know who you are. Liam knows who you are. But if we, if we had to sum you up in like a couple of sentences, what would you say? Who who are you? In, well, in terms of touring, um, so basically, no, in terms of baking, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, Craig. You know, I don't know how fucking wacky you want to go with this. Podcast. <laughs> oh, mate, we, we, we'll go wherever you want it to go. Um, but yeah, bass player for Future Left. Um, yeah. But before that, you know, I've also played in a few other bands, probably not as well known. Um, I did play for Tricky for a while, but everyone, every bass player has played for Tricky. Um, so, <laughs> um, what else? Oh, and obviously, um, I was in Million Dead back in the day. So mm-hmm. um, most people will know Million Dead because of Frank Turner now. So that was Frank's um, one of his, um, I, w- I won't say first band because he's in bands before that, but. The band One of that its first of successful bands, wasn't it? Yeah, let's call it that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, yeah, and, and with those bands and other bands as well, um, again, loads of touring. That's why we're talking. Um, so it's been, yeah, it's really good. Um, and you know, yeah, this year we haven't done much for obvious reasons, which has affected everyone um, yeah. with COVID. But yeah, I love it. Been you know, playing bass for a very long time, and yeah, the touring and gigging and all that stuff kind of kicked in when I came to the UK in nineteen ninety nine. Which wow. is quite old, yeah. So you've been touring for 20 years? Uh, yeah, pretty. I mean, if we did gigs this year, I'd say 20, yeah, maybe just under. So I'd say, you know, 19. But we'll round it up to 20, Craig. It sounds more impressive. <laughs> so was that your first experience of touring then, was with Million Dead? It was, yeah, yep. it was, in the early 2000s. <laughs> oh, my God. So was that, that UK and Europe, or was it worldwide? Yeah, that was um, mainly UK, um, some Europe. We did, you know, some random one-off shows in the States, you know, like every young band does back then, like South by Southwest. South by, yeah, yeah. Some showcases for labels and things like that. But sadly in that band, we never got an opportunity to properly tour the States. Um, 
but yeah, we did one-off shows there. So the touring was mainly Europe. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, we we were talking about this the other day, but we are now, I think, as tour managers, very, very spoiled for our uh, tools that allow us to tour efficiently. Like we have, you know, got Master Tour, Google Maps, you've got Google Drive, Dropbox, you've got a phone on you at all times, everything else. How difficult was it in comparison when you first started touring to tour? Like it just... Well, when Craig pitched up with his Master Tool fancy app, you know, a few years ago, was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, what's this? What's, what is this <laughs> magical picture you've got? I was just like, whoa, whoa, what is this? Um, but, you know, because even before Craig helped us out, we weren't that advanced. We were just doing the usual, you know, I was on like Word documents, spreadsheets, you know, yeah. very basic stuff. But It works, though. It, it works so well. It works, yeah. yeah. I think, you know, look. It was more difficult back then in terms of, yeah, you didn't have apps like that. And um, gosh, I can't even remember if we had proper, I don't remember people even using like sat nerves on their phone or anything like that. It was literally like fucking, you know. Do it on a map. (laughs) So were you you, like, if you were planning a route or something, was like, was that, did you have an agent back in the early 2000s or were you doing that? No, we, we did have an agent, actually, yeah. So, um, well, no, I lied. The, the first tour we did, we didn't have an agent, and then we picked one up pretty soon after that, and then the rest of it was organised by Mel Young, who was um, working for Helter Skelter at the time. Um, and then she went across to another agency, or oh, can't remember now, but she's dealt with, like, you know, so many bands. But mm-hmm. um, the first tour we did, uh, we didn't have management or an agent, so we were literally a bunch of kids just trying to work out what the fuck we're doing, you know, just love that. Yeah. yeah. Best way to do it. Love it. I mean, we, we did all that dumb shit, which now I would advise no one to do on classic <laughs> is, You know, we did shit like, you know, you know, you've got a fucking crappy, uh, I don't know, transit van and you've got all the gear in the back and, so, and a couple of people actually sitting. In the gear among, bit. Yeah. 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 Think about I it. I mean, we... One of the first tours I ever did, we were, we, it wasn't a big tour. I think like the two biggest drives were from like Southampton to uh, High Wycombe and then High Wycombe back to Guildford. But um, a friend of ours, he had bought like, well, the guy in the band, he had a really old VW camper van. And obviously we were like, we're fucking, we're on tour. We've made it. We're in, we're in a tour bus. And uh, there were seven of, seven of us in there. And I think it had three seatbelts. And it's just like, looking back on it, <sighs> what the fuck were we doing? But also, it was fucking great, and no, nothing bad happened. But we were sat with gears and guitars, and I was sat on the floor in a camper van. Like there was a hole in it, I could see the road like next to my knee, and I was like, "What are we doing?" Well, that's the thing. Yeah, it's same. When I look back, it, it, it's just insanity. Because if we had any accident on the motorway, hmm. some of us would be dead. You know, obviously yeah. we were just young and thought we were immortal and did stupid shit like that but as you said it was just so much fun you know we but we also those kind of tours when we you know you'd in each city you would stay somehow you know someone and we would stay in people's houses whether it's a a relative or a friend or sometimes creepy a fan you know Mm, (laughs) which is um so you know any fan willing to take in a band of four and their I don't know, crew of one, you know, you yeah. have to kind of think about that. But that that was um, the kind of tour also where, because the van is so shit, every night a different band member would sleep in the van with the gear out of fear that you're going to get that van stolen or the gear stolen. Yeah. 
out of it. So, mm-hmm. you know, we would take turns. And sometimes that's in the winter. And you're in this shit bag, like, freezing with some crappy, smelly blankets. And I just remember that. It was horrendous, you know. I but, remember sleeping on merch it, as well. You know, and I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, merch, dinner on. Yep. Sleeping <laughs> on merch, covering yourself with, like, T-shirts. <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. It's amazing what we did. And I think, you know, it's, I think it's, like, character building. As well, though, when you do that kind of stuff, like when I first started touring, it was very similar, like sleeping on the floor of a van in a service station. And if you asked me to go out on tour now and be like, it's a real starter out, it's a, you know, it's a young punk band, they're going to be a thing, but you've got to start from the bottom that, you know, there's no hotels. I'd be like, get in the fucking bin. <laughs> I'm not doing that ever again. Are you fucking mad? Well, I think, I think I'd spend one night on the floor in a van now and then never be able to sit up straight ever again. I'll just be there, yeah. but I'm a back wouldn't it? Yeah. And then when you, you know, promote yourselves up to a, a travel lodge, you're like, wow, yeah. you know, stay in a travel lodge, this is like a real thing. Um, but even now... I'm sneak like, extra people into the travel lodge because there was like a militant person at the desk that. and you'd be like, there's <laughs> only three people allowed in here, but I'm going to get seven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I love Classic. it. Everyone's done it though. It's the same story for everyone. It's just, it's like, yeah, well, oh, it's brilliant. I love that, but that is so true because again, you'd be earning fuck all money, so you're doing it on a shoestring. And yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. You fucking sneak in seven to eight in a family room in a travel lodge. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know how we did it. Like I said, simpler times. Less. I, was, I actually learned one of my favourite life skills while doing that that sort of touring, which was I learned how to make uh, a methylated spirits burner out of two Coke cans so that when we stole tinned food from the supermarkets of the, that we were sleeping in the car parks of, we could cook it in mess tins in the van. Oh, my God, that's another level. Like, it was <laughs> insane. <laughs> yeah, it was ridiculous. So you'd nick a load of tinned food out of the Tesco's or wherever you were staying, and uh, yeah, you cut two Coke cans in half, put the two bottom ends together with some cotton wool in, poke some holes in the top, pour in some methylated spirits, light it, you've got a burner. That's crazy. Good no tip. other reason that I would have ever learned that in my life other than being starving in a van. Oh, my God. That's, <laughs> that's, that's very true. And I, do, I sometimes wonder, because obviously I um, also worked for a while now in music education, so I've come across a lot of you know, young musicians these days. Mm-hmm. And they're great. You know, I, I still learn so much from the students, you know, young musicians. They're amazing. Like, they help keep me in touch and... They're really just so aware and they're, they're brilliant. But I do wonder if they've got the same level of resilience as we did or level of stupidity, I don't know. But, you yeah. know. There's a fine <laughs> line between those two words, isn't there, these days? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Let's be realistic about it. Yeah. Like, we're going, yeah, we did this and we... Yeah. We yes. travelled around like skateboards and we fucking did, you know, we just come up with stupid shit that these yeah. people <laughs> you know, why did you do that? That's just yeah. stupid. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jules, I was just oh, just reading through some of these notes I've done. I was just thinking, when you've... Oh, God, why am I ringing? <laughs> How unprofessional. <laughs> it's coming out of everywhere. <laughs> I remember my first podcast, Chris. Yeah. Oh, my God. You're on it. it this together. is our first ever one. <laughs> All right, so I'll tell you what, while Craig saw that <laughs> No, well, so when you tour with a band, like as crew guys, like we, we tend to not stay with one band for a long time. Like as as the as our careers progress, you kind of get to spend more time with certain people. But as a musician, more often than not, you'll spend years and years with those same people in that same band doing all these experiences together. 
So having been in like bands for a long amount of time and then changing into new bands, how long does it take you to kind of get used to that dynamic shift of other personalities on the road? Or is that, is that something you kind of work out in the rehearsal studio and then you, it's like, right, we'll fucking do it on the road or you just get out on the road and then you realize the lead singer is a bellend or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, and again, I'm I'm quite lucky because, and again, I'm, I'm not going. Oh, you know, I'm so great. But I think with touring, if you in, the people who enjoy touring, I'm, I'm if you're really adaptable. And you know, I I really find different people mm-hmm. really interesting. I really love kind of trying to relate to different types of people, different types of backgrounds. And so when I went from band to band, or you know, when I did session work, I mean the the band for Tricky were, you know, of a, a really different kind of background because obviously I've played in bands where they were, you know, bands that we wrote music together. I wasn't in yeah. bands with, with session musicians, but for Tricky, he had a bunch of session musicians and they were great musicians and they were creative and they were lovely. But again, very different to say touring with mm-hmm. you know, a bunch of young guys from London in Million Dead, you know, who... Haven't, you know, we had no money and we're just stupid kids. And then Future mm-hmm. Left, where, again, we're, you know, we're not session musicians. Um, we're not kids either. So, again, that was a totally different dynamic. But with the session music, music I was going to say muso, is that horrible, isn't it? Session musicians. <laughs> they were actually they were really lovely too because, and I was a bit worried. I'm like, going, oh, how am I going to go with this, touring with this kind of, kind of setup? And it was fine because, again, if you're adaptable and quite relaxed, um, mm-hmm. And that goes for like crews, some of the, the best crew that we've ever had and that we do keep. If we can keep, you know, a good tech or um, tour manager or front of house or whatever, we will, if we, 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 be, we love them, you know, so we will keep yeah. them as long as we can. Yeah. Um, but again, the best ones, are the ones who are just relaxed and they can adapt to different personalities. Yeah. They don't complain. They're quite positive. Um, you know, we we respect the fact that they've got different moods as well. Sometimes not everyone can stay ultra positive every day, all day. But absolutely, it's it's the ones where you know they're on an even keel. I mean, I think you know, Rich Rich Burt's a really good example of someone that we love touring with because oh, he's just I love Rich. Yeah. Hopefully, Rich is going to come on here actually. At some point. He should, yeah, because he's so relaxed and. Yeah. I love touring because I, what I love, I love traveling and I love variety. That's why I'm kind of struggling with life this year because I feel like I'm just, it's just Groundhog Day and I'm just in a fucking mm-hmm. hamster wheel and I fucking hate it. That's why touring is great for me because it's something different every day and that goes really well with my personality. So that's why adapting to different bands on tour is sure, you know, you, you're right. People are different and they're different from the rehearsal room to touring and you really get to know someone when you're on the road. And also saying that in early tours, I remember when I was a million dead, to make um, our tours work, we sometimes would share, you know, a sleeper bus with another band, you know, yeah. so we had to adapt to touring with another band. And again, that was fine. There was one band in particular, I'm not going to name names, but they were fucking ballends. So, you know, <laughs> I, I was all right. You just learn how to avoid them. There was yeah. one band that we shared a uh, sleeper bus with and we became best friends and they were awesome. So you've got, you know, one band who were just like, oh, fuck, I can't wait for this to end and I'm not going to talk to you for as long as I live. And then you've got other ones who you're still friends with today. Yeah. But it's been just about being kind of adaptable and relaxed yeah. about it. That's the thing. Absolutely. A lot of people that do choose to do this line of work genuinely, generally aren't twats as well. So that's always quite reassuring, isn't it? Like, oh, I've got to say, Craig, oh, you know what? In In all my years of working... Again, you know, with say more office-based staff, 
or yeah. you're running or you know managing people in a, a college setting where you know everyone is passionate about music and we're there for the students but because they're more office based I'm not sometimes if I'm struggling to get someone to either I don't know, do something properly or <laughs> understand what they need to do or just be less of a fucking whinger yeah. I just I just you know what I want to do go on tour I just want to stick stuff on tour go yeah. tour for a few months yeah. come back you'll be a better person I fucking swear you will be 100%. you know I would send so many people on tour instead of training yeah you know? <laughs> I mean, it's a good idea, to be honest. It's, I think the main rule, number one, of touring is just don't be a dick. Like, you could be yeah. amazing at your job. And I've said this before, like, when I've I've done a couple of lectures, actually one at BIM a few years ago with you, you Julia, and then a couple at a college in Leicester. Um, and, like, the one thing I've always said to kids in these lectures is, in not so many words, but, like, you could be the best at your job. You could be the most incredible guitar tech that has ever walked this earth. But if you're a dick and you can't relate to people, you're never going to work, ever, because no one wants to be around you, and you have to be able to be around people 24-7. I do find as well, on tour, like, sometimes you'll meet, like, someone, like a tech from a crew, that first impression, they'll be a bellend. Like, because they're just trying to do the best they can for their job, and then, like, you get chatting to them maybe later on that day or something, you're actually like, God, I thought you were right, twat, when I first met you, but you're actually well all right. I I do that all the time. Like, I I definitely go in there with the best intentions for my band, and I probably do upset people occasionally, but I'm I'm not doing it to ruin their day. I'm doing it just to make the six or 16 people I'm looking for not shout at me. (laughs) I'd rather shout at five people than be shouting at my 16 people, is my theory. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. So... You just don't know what they're dealing with on the other side. And yeah. and again, exactly. I'm not just saying this because I'm going to sound like a total like suck up here, but it's not because I'm on your podcast, but I'm going to genuinely say this on tour. Some of my favorite people are actually not my band members. It's the crew. You know, I, <laughs> yeah. I love the crew you know, because they're just fucking ace. I don't know if I've just been lucky, but every time we tour, whoever's kind of like with us, they're fucking awesome. Like, you know, they're just great to talk to. It just I'm always kind of in awe of like, you know how good a job they're doing and they become my favorite people. So at the end of the tour, when I'm forking out all the cash to the front of house and to the driver <laughs> and to the text, I don't feel too bad because I'm like, I quite like you. Oh, that's <laughs> a good value right there. Good value. <laughs> <laughs> and again, in those early tours, I remember like back in the day where it wasn't bank transfers, I was literally carrying around wads of cash. Um, mm. I would be paying people in cash end and you'd see all this money just go to the crew and you've got maybe a tenner like this member. at the end of it yeah savage yeah <laughs> talking of two andrew falcons has just entered the room there falco He's come and say hello era. falco <laughs> <laughs> uh right uh Liam, you you've got some questions go 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 Um, so actually we were talking about um being now in music and education you were saying that obviously you're dealing with younger musicians now what kind of expectations do you think they have or do you see that they have for a career in music now are they like you said they're not as focused on like a resilient toilet touring lifestyle to make it as much as we were back when we were starting out is it more that they're just focused on fame or social media clout, or is it they just want to do something? 
Yeah, that's, yeah, again, it's a really good question because it's a mix. I mean, what, what kind of frightens me sometimes is it, yes, you know, majority of them are very obsessed with social media. They think it's the be-all and end-all. And, yeah, you know, again, it's important, but I'm like, you know, there's more to it than that. And that does worry me because they get really caught up in it. Sometimes mm. they come to me talking about their bloody, I don't know, Instagram or whatever they're using, and they haven't even finished a song. You know, I'm just like, yeah. you don't have any material. Wow. Yeah, no, it's happened loads. I'm like, look, you, there's no rush. You don't need to run on to creating your own website or, you know, Instagram. Sorry, just got some background noise here. But, <laughs> but I say to them, you know, just take your time as well. Just, you know, get some content, get some music together. And also don't just chuck out the first thing you've recorded or written. Yeah. Because, yeah. You know, a lot of people will take that first impression. And if it's crap, and let's, let's face it, the first thing you put out is probably not going to be very good. No. They're not going to come back. So it's always trying to like get them to just slow down a bit and just like take their time. Um, and in terms of resilience, yeah, you know, and unfortunately from what I've seen, and I know I'm generalizing, it's not fair because I know they're all different, but not as resilient from what I've seen. And, you know, I think a lot of them, again, this is quite frightening for me to share actually, but when we audition new applicants, um, <laughs> I've actually, it takes, it just shows I need to adapt a little bit as well because over the years, when we like interview young musicians who want to study a degree, the you know a few years ago the answer would be you know I want to be in a band, I want to tour, I want to record. Brilliant. Yeah. And these days, some of them answer with we go all right. So why do you want to study drums for three years? Oh, I want to I want to uh, be a successful YouTuber. And they literally oh, like no. what you're yeah I know it's heartbreaking. There's nothing wrong with that though. It's a completely valid it, career now. Uh, it really it's, is. Uh, but what, what makes me sad about that, because we sit there going, oh, what, you don't want to play with, you know, other musicians? And I think with you, what we're all talking about is what's really valuable about touring is those friendships, those bonds that you create, those memories. Yeah. The music's one thing, but it's the whole package of it, which is seeing different countries and cities. It's just an incredible life experience. Yeah. They're just, if they're just sticking up videos on YouTube, you know, I don't... Ugh, you know, that's great, you know, and you're right, Craig, that is a career, they make money, and it's valid, but I just feel like they're missing out on a whole other spectrum yeah. of things. Do you think it's, it's, do you think that's because sad. people don't really, I mean, like, so when I was growing up, it was, you heard all of these infamous stories about, like, Motley Crue touring or whatever, and it was kind of glamorised and stuff, whereas now, I don't feel like you really hear any stories about touring as such like i mean i could be wrong and just looking in the wrong places but like i haven't read an article where someone's talked about tour antics for years like, do you reckon like the, the the kids coming through now actually understand the benefits to your life that touring can bring yes yeah, so it's the kids also just you know younger bands and artists i think it's funny but in a way they're a bit more relaxed or more chilled out or maybe wiser i don't know but yeah you definitely hear less of it but then also when you think about it, everyone's online, everything you do, everything you say gets captured, everyone's got phones, so people are a bit more cautious as well. If you, you know, do really stupid shit, the chances of you getting caught or something bad happening or getting backlash on socials is a lot greater. Yeah. I think they take less risks because there's a bit of fear there, mm -hmm. yeah. um, maybe not as much desire to do that. I, it's, it is, it's a very different generation. And But, you know, to commend them, on the other hand, you know, a lot of them I've met, you know, very focused on just purely creating music that they love. And they're just really more focused on the, 
the artistry of it and the music. They're not really into the party lifestyle. Yeah. They want to play music and be yeah. good at it. So that's great as well. Um, and again, you know, in all the bands I've been in, sure, you know, we've all had, you know, nights out where everyone just gets a bit too pierced and silly shit. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's so much fun. But again, I've been lucky because of the bands I'm in, no one's ever been you know, taking ridiculous amounts of drugs and nearly dying or being stupid or yeah. anything like that. I mean, we've had silliness, but it's never been... It's never done know. that next step up towards dangerous. Like, so. Yeah, and that's great because I would feel, you know, that, that's not what I'm in a band for and that's but not yeah, what the yeah. band's... Everyone uh, like... One, one time on tour, I, I, I remember being with a band um, and it was very... like There was a particular member in the band that was uh, a drug user and... It, I've never realized so quickly that that is not the environment for me. Like I, I was, I, I enjoyed being their front of house and it was great fun. Um, but they asked me back at the end of it and it was a good tour. Um, and it was just, I, I, I genuinely don't want to tour with this band anymore because I don't want to watch the, this guy die. And that's like, he may yeah. not have, I didn't know the full story, but it was just, like, I don't want to sit there and watch it happen slowly. Like some people, like, um, I, I think some people, can just deal with that and it's like that's not that's not the environment for me at all like no fuck that. no it's, yeah it's really awkward because the one time i was in an environment where there was you know more drugs floating about and you know i won't name names but it wasn't one of the bands that i was in where we did so it wasn't million dead and it wasn't future left but yeah um yeah and i did feel for the tour manager <laughs> because there was one particular person in that setup where drugs played a huge part and that's why the tm bless him like he was just always just on edge because he's got that fear of well this person being busted by the police yeah. or you know every minute um but then also their behavior was just out of control sometimes and it made for a really crap atmosphere yeah. so it's like it's not cool um and yeah i saw some horrendous stuff and the, and the funniest story was um when one night the musical director um, emailed the rest of us warning us that this person has decided to um, not smoke weed for the remainder of the gigs. This person did more than weed, by the way. Yeah. But the fact that this person had been smoking weed every day for his life, you know, of his life since a very young age, we were like, holy shit. Yeah. Please continue smoking weed because mm -hmm. this person not smoking weed is going to be mental. Yeah. Oh, they were. And then <laughs> the hilarious thing is we all reconvened to do a festival. We knew that this person wasn't smoking weed anymore. They decided to quit it. But then the next minute we turn around and he's in a restaurant of some, I don't know, not Travelodge, but your chain hotel. And he's fucking doing lines of Coke instead on the table. And we're like, oh, okay. It's escalated. So, yeah, yeah. I'm like, so you've cut the weed out, but you've yeah. switched Okay. <laughs> good, good one. <laughs> yeah, and and that and then then it was just not a good move. We're like, yeah, do you want to like maybe switch back to the uh, the more relaxing yeah. drug that you're used to? So um, yeah, and no, it was just yeah, it was funny. But again, I, I I was fine. Again, I when I see that, I just know to kind of stay at arm's length. You don't get too close. I am. Um, I I always make a point of it mm -hmm. now with tours. I, I'm sure you do a similar thing. Like both both of you. Um, where some bands do seem to think it is a tour manager's responsibility to acquire them certain drugs. And I make it very clear oh, yeah. from the get-go where it's like, I'm your tour manager, I'm not your drug dealer. I don't understand how that line gets so blurred with so many fucking people. 
I think there's some people that do get involved in it as well, some people who do enable it as well. I've always always said, like yourself, as long if you're taking drugs, fine. Just tell me what it is that you you, you regularly take, and tell me. Just give me a heads up when you're on it. If it's not something that I'm going to visibly be able to see, so that at least if something happens, I know what's going on. But don't expect me to hold it for you. Don't expect me to buy it for you. Don't expect me to have any part in it whatsoever. Yeah. Which is usually accepted quite quite well. Yeah, a lot of I think I think just saying that to some people, but I I think some younger tour manager. I've seen I've been on tours where the support band have had like a tour manager that's just like basically a drug dealer, a drug mule more than anything, and it's just like, dude, you you if you get arrested, that's it, you're fucked, and the band don't give a shit mm-hmm. about you. Like, uh, absolutely. So I think you know the the approach you set out, Liam, is so right, and I think that takes you know someone. To be a successful TM or anyone in that setup, you've just got to know yourself. You've got to mm-hmm. have that confidence to, you know, put that across. Because, again, you're right as well, Craig, because when you get people a bit less experienced, they're really impressionable. Oh, hell yeah. Like, they get taken advantage of. They become the drug dealer. They become just a total facilitator of all kinds of shit, you know. And sometimes TMs become mum, you know, like everyone yeah. just runs to mummy and they want this TM to fix everything mm-hmm. and make better. And that's yeah. not what the TM is there for. So yeah. I think, you know, TMs have got a bit more experience. Like I said, that kind of confidence to just go, this is what I do. I do a good job, but I'm not doing that for you. Yeah, Great. I'm not fucking around with that shit. Yeah, I think it's about setting those boundaries. I think my favourite one that I've had is um, uh, a couple of bands from America um, who have <laughs> asked me to meet them at the airport with weed. <laughs> Like, yeah, are you that. stupid? You want me to yeah. bring drugs to the airport? That's not <laughs> happening. I don't know how it works over there, but that's not how it works over here. <laughs> uh, Jules, can I ask you my favourite question in the whole world? You've been touring now Ooh. for the best part of 20 years. And if you, if I had a gun to your head and I said to you, five favourite venues in the world that you've played, which, what, what are your top five venues? I love this question. I love it. It's so hard, though. It's, I forget about more. Every time like, me and Liam talk about it, it's just like uh, a new one will pop up and it'll be like, oh, yeah, shit, yeah. I forgot about that place. <laughs> That's true. Oh, I, I would love to answer this because, yeah, nothing beats a fucking good venue. You know, you want mm-hmm. you know, nice staff, good sound, a great stage, fucking good parking, an easy loadout, an easy loading. You know, all those things yeah. count. A decent watch area. Love all that shit. Um, yeah, touring nerd, right? So you know, I see it. That's what it's all about. Yeah, I'm always like, where does the merch go? Oh, okay, yeah. that's good. Yeah. yeah, it's a good spot. <laughs> it's not cold either. Uh, like, I love it when the merch spot isn't in the fucking wind. Oh, yeah. Exactly. But yeah, top five or easy. Okay, so definitely the Corner Hotel in Melbourne. Without a fantastic doubt. venue, love amazing it. venue. I've been there. Oh, my heart. You know, it's about what is it, Liam? Eight hundred cap. Something like that, yeah. It's beautiful. It's such a good venue. I loved it. I didn't. I didn't play there. I didn't do. I didn't work a show there. I was there for. I think like an after party for a laneway uh, festival show, and it was amazing. Like such a good vibe. The whole place. Love it. Great sound, and also they've got that you know quirky little second stage to the side. I love yeah. it. The support plays. They're over there which means no one's fucking about with your gear on, like, the main stage. It's like a mini festival room, but you, I just love the two-stage setup. Oh, so, like, the support so band good. will go on the smaller stage and then, like, the, the, the headline yeah. actor will have, like, their own... So each band has yeah. their own stage. Yeah. yeah. That's so, fucking sick. 
I know this is audio, so this isn't a great example, but, you know, you, you literally, the audience turns this way. They yeah. go, oh, there's a... And then they turn this way. So to watch the... brilliant, isn't it? Oh, so good. Amazing. It's a fantastic venue for all the great reasons that we stated at the start. But So that's yeah. a good one. Also for me, Electric Ballroom in London is... It's, it's it's got to be top five for everyone. I love the electric. I ballroom. love that place. It's great. I remember seeing Future of the Left at Electric Ballroom and being like, "This is why I love this venue and this band. It's fucking sick." It was a wicked show. It's easily one of my favorite experiences in life because we were just having quite a triumphant moment where that's you know I think the biggest London audience we've played to. Again, the promoter was absolutely lovely, Danny. You know, he's put on quite a few shows for us. And again, just got looked after really well. Great sound, great audience, just ticked all the boxes. So definitely that one as well. Um, so yeah, no, those two came to mind. Oh, there's more. Um, so, oh God, I mean, you got me already now. Um, so yeah, <laughs> great. Um, oh yes, another one. Again, not as big as these ones, but again, just um, great time there. And that's the the Brudenell in Leeds. Oh yeah, absolutely, oh, awesome. absolutely. Yeah. I fucking love the Brudenell. Love the Brudenell again. Same reason. I mean, we just had such a great show. Again, the audience is brilliant. Promoter's great. Sound great again for all the same reasons. And yeah, good little merch. Very good little merch area there. Very good. I really like about that venue is the uh, disparity between the gig and the working men's club as well in the same room. Because obviously like the main bit, the main bar is like a locals working men and then like the back room is the venue. So like you'll see some gigs. I think I went to like a math rock all day there. And it was just such a weird dichotomy of people. These like old boys in a leather jacket sitting at the bar nursing a couple of like cascales. And then you've got loads of kids in the next room like listening to gent it's so weird it's amazing oh no it, it, i i really love that too and actually the, the next venue i'm going to name i no i think they were going to shut down sadly but they've been saved and it's in manchester and i think it was um day and night is that what it's night and day night night and day. Oh, sorry i marked that up is it night and day is that the is one that? oh actually no you've got me questioning it it might not be no wait a minute no oh gosh where is it in in the center it's... or is it outside yeah, it was in Manchester. Again, we just, it's such a lovely venue. And it was the one where it's a bit odd because when you're on stage, the bar is kind of at the same. You can literally like walk onto the bar if you want. Yeah. <laughs> That's just there. Do you, did you that? ever do Rebellion? I think it's night and day. I always like the Rebellion in Manchester, the one opposite the Ritz. That one's called. Cool. Yeah, maybe I got the wrong name. There was, yeah, was definitely one in Manchester that was really. Great. I think that's what it was called. Um, yeah, I'm looking at some pictures now, and I'm, I'm pretty confident that's night and day, that one, the way you can, the bar is, like, right next to the stage. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, yeah. So what am I up to now? How many is that? That's that's four. Ooh. Yeah, four. So, yeah, last, last one. one. Last one. Oh, gosh, 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 gosh. Any in your, any, any well, any in, in outside of the UK? And yeah, actually, I was thinking about our tour in the States, and um, it was a while ago, so I was trying to remember the name. Oh, yeah, no, it was the one in, it, again, there was a, such a random story. There was a guy I used to work with at Universal Records years and years and years ago, and hadn't seen him in ages, like literally over 10 years. And I turned up at this venue with Future Left to play in San Francisco, and he was just the manager there. And I was just like, holy shit, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, was it Slims? Is that what it's called? Oh, I don't know. I think it's Slims. Yeah. And again, sadly, I've got a, a mm. friend of mine, um, an American friend, and she lives here now, and she keeps posting on Facebook 
about venues that are shutting down. And sadly, I think that might be one of them. I think it was Slims. But again, it was a really great venue in San Francisco because it reminded me a little bit of the the corner in Melbourne because it had um, a similar room. And actually, a, a funny thing that they do at the corner, you might remember, Liam, I don't know, but they've got the, you know, the curtain that comes up. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Which is a bit awkward, but <laughs> a little bit. Because <laughs> it feels like a theatre show. You're like, this is a this is a rock gig. Um, but there's something kind of nice about it. And they did it at that venue as well. So um, but you know, that's totally gonna happen to me. We're gonna end this podcast. We're gonna spend the whole night in bed. It'll just come to you, <laughs> <isn't> it? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna think of about 20 more venues. I'm like, yeah. oh, is that one? What one? So yeah, you're right. The one that I always like, one of my favourites in the world, has got to be Milkfeg in uh, Milkfeg in Amsterdam. Have you ever done that one? No. Oh, it's wonderful. It's just everything. It's very it nice. It's a cool room. I mean, both those rooms are pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Again, um, we did loads in, like, especially in France, we played lots of really nice venues, but I just can't. Just they don't yeah, spring can't to mind as such. Yeah. No, um, I'll. I'll later. I've got a question here that I, I, I think will be quite interesting. Um. You've been like always been with some pretty outspoken bands that are, are delivering a pretty like strong message that and it's not shying away from an agenda or a point kind of thing. Like, mm. have you ever been at a show where twats have turned up and have tried to, or people with the opposite opinion to what you're saying, like ignorant people or ignorant to your message, have turned up and tried to cause issues and potentially stop you saying what you're saying or anything like that like working with anti-flag we've had that a lot of times where people come along and they just try and start a fight or we get nazis turn up and it's just like oh well these these guys can really oh yeah not really no i think there was oh no there were just been really random ones i think it was somewhere in um i think it was in glasgow or somewhere in scotland where we um played it was in future left and i think it was such a weird moment because I can't remember what Andrew was saying because obviously he's well known for his like in between song mm-hmm. banter and um, yeah. oh gosh I can't remember I might have to ask him in a minute but it was he was talking about a, a song or something and there was this random moment where I think someone in the audience misconstrued his statement oh, that's right as being racist but as in as in, you know, he was coming across as racist, but that's a good thing because this person just suddenly went, yeah, all us white guys. And, <laughs> oh, my no. God. <laughs> and everyone just had the audience band. Everyone just went, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I was like, yeah, no, I think, you, I think you missed the point there. And it was just odd because the people around this person just kind of, like, shifted back a bit because obviously we're called Future of the Left. And... Um, yeah. Yeah, oh, read the fucking room, mate. <laughs> yeah, most definitely not racist. Um, and it was just really random. So it wasn't anyone coming from the show kind of going, yeah, you know, this is what these people are about. I think they just misunderstood something he said. And then they thought that was a little flag out to them. And they were like, yeah. But they were, yeah, no, totally did not read the room. And it was just very weird. That was so oh, funny. But apart from that incident, no, you know, again, whether it was Million Dead or Future Left, no one's really come along to you know make their opinion heard against ours it's just i think we do very much preach to the converted at our shows i think so i think that's yeah. a lot of the time in music is that that is the case i mean it, particularly if you are in a let's say politically outspoken but even any kind of outspoken band you are 
not really going to have someone with a, a differing opinion come by your show and be like, oh, this might be a challenging event for me. I should probably go into that, unfortunately, because that is what ideally what you'd want is a, is a whole set of new ears to get your point of view. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what is the thing that you take on tour that you can't live without? Could be a tool, could be anything. I think what was Rogers was like chewing gum that we had last. Oh, I can't live without. Oh gosh, God, good question again. Um, oh God. <laughs> I mean, there's lots, <laughs> quite a bit, but maybe. Oh man. Um, <sighs> I've got for in bunks. I've got like a, I have a special like bag thing now that's got like all my chargers and my, my Nintendo oh, yeah. Switch in it and stuff and. I can't live without my tablet as well because it's like as soon as I can get into my bunk or into a seat in the van, it's like I just want to blinkers up and, and just chill out or drive. Yeah, I was going to say something like that, but I thought, oh, is that a boring answer? But yes. Yeah, so. I mean, mine was my printer last time. Yeah. So oh, you can't okay. get more boring than that. I'm trying, I've put way too much thought into this. Yeah. Um, because again, you're right, especially on a sleeper bus, you know, you, your little kind of bed turns into your little sanctuary cool. in your home. Yeah. Yeah, I you know I used to be so good at just setting up literally like a little house in my absolutely little bed. You know, you'd have again, you, you know, that little side pocket, and I'd like very carefully have my the wipes, and then you know a little mirror, and then yeah, your, obviously your tablet, and then your chargers, and you have all yep. like arranged perfectly. Really, um, so I keep going back to the same bus company for the last few years now. Uh, Carver's Coaches, absolutely wonderful bus company, but um. There's one bunk in their bus that's got an extra little ledge in it that's maybe like seven inches or something. But I, 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 nobody knows about that on any of the tours because like, I'm in that bunk before people even get a chance. So I'll get the driver to stick my name on it and be like, don't let anyone have it. Like, that's mine. <laughs> that's amazing. So just so you, before when you're making that point, Liam, I've got to confess, I, you know what happened? I was, talk, I was thinking about this really funny incident at a venue in London when we were on... Um, we were playing this show. It's about merch, and that's why I kind of zoned out a bit on your point. <laughs> <laughs> I just went straight because it was very good shows. I remember was that time, and then I just went. You finished your point. I was like, yeah. So I have to confess. I just <laughs> you know, when you were making that point, my mind went to the forum in London when we were playing with the fall. And oh, what nice. was really funny is like when you're in a band where you do your own merch and you look after a lot of your own stuff. There's this great moment where. We got to the venue early enough to make sure that we set up our merch properly. You know, I was there mm -hmm. getting out because merch is very important to our income. Oh, okay, sure. Someone's filling up some water. Um, and um, and obviously, you know, and we were there in good time, had everything ready. There was a bunch of other bands supporting. And so there was this moment where we we were playing. So we were just before the fall. So we were like the main support mm -hmm. like all day. And loads of bands playing. Um and sorry, is that water too distracting? Not at all. That's fine. Um, and I'm not going to name him. And so there were lots of bands playing, set up the merch. And then we were playing really great. We had a great crowd that night, great show. Like everything was going really well. And I just remember looking over at Jack, our drummer, because he used to share merch duties with me. Yeah. And he was just like, and he just kind of like signaled during the song, like, look at our, because we could actually see the merch table from the stage, just way at the back of the room. Yeah. All afternoon, I was waiting for the merch people to turn up from the fall to like take up their position because we went to so much effort to 
you know, yeah. how, how, you know, this is our territory. This is our, this is our table, you know? <laughs> and what happened is like, they turned up like halfway, they just turned up during our set and just fucking chucked all of our shit down to the side. No, no. And took that whole space. Jack's playing, you know, splashing it. He's like signaling to me like, fucking look at that. And I'm just on bass and we're all like rocking out. But I had this moment where I'm like, let's, you know, just kind of like, you know, looking up above, you I know. I can't believe that. that. Shocking. Going, oh, fucking hang on. Bastard. <laughs> I nearly fucking took my bass off and went, you just fucking move your shit over there. I'm the end of surprise. Fucking hell. That's savage. That's so fucking rude. Bang out of order. I fucking hate it when, 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 Headline acts do that. Like there is absolutely yeah. no excuse to treat bands on any bill like garbage. It really fucks me off. And no, but after the set, dude, yeah. I put my bass down. I'm not. I'm not. Not kidding. I fucking ran over there, sweaty, just literally off the stage, and just fucking had such a go at them. I was like yeah. going, "What the fuck are you doing?" And there was like this really intense moment. Where, and then I look back. I go, "That was quite, you know." Silly, like you know, getting angry at someone, but I thought, no, actually, they just like came in and whenever they wanted and just fucking shoved our shit aside. Yeah, I think it's yeah. totally justified. That's absolutely yeah, fine. 100%. And then, as well, like you're saying, how you've like you've gone there early and you've set out your area and you've made sure that you have your table and your display. Like, tables and a pretty prime real estate in a venue, there's not an abundance of them. So, yeah. if you've managed to get yourself a table stuck on an all day like that, you are in a pretty good stead. Do you know what I mean? Thinking. You've got that table, it's yours. Yeah, I reckon they're going to reduce the amount of space that we can have for merch tables uh, in the new world, actually. It's hard enough oh, getting merch space, but let's think about it in social distancing like, and like less entrances. Mm. Where the fuck are we going to do merch? That's oh. a really good point. And yeah, no cash whatsoever, so we're all going to yeah. need to have a... A, a card reading, yeah. Ooh, fuck, good point. ball egg. Yeah, that's yeah. actually, that's reminded me, the... Um, Electric Ballroom in Rixton um, actually loses uh, some points for me on a great venue because the Wi-Fi doesn't reach to the merch. Oh. So, yeah, I had to go out and buy, last time I was there, I had to go out and buy Wi-Fi extenders to relay from the dressing rooms out towards merch so that we could use our card reader, which is a bit annoying. Very annoying. Oh, I just saw another venue that I've got to mention. You know, I love Go the garage. I love the garage in Highbury. Amazing yeah. venue. We've love that place. Really good shows there. Yeah. You know, the garage was one of the first places where I felt like I'd like I did a gig there, and I was like, oh, I've made it. It's like five, six hundred people in here. I was like, this feels like I'm, I'm doing a gig. Like no, like, and that's not to poo-poo any of those small, like the smaller rooms, but it was definitely at the garage where I was just like, this feels good. There's, there's something about that room, like when it's got 500 people in it or whatever it is, it sounds great. It kicks you in the face. It's just, oh, it's wicked. Love it. Really love shit it. backstage, though. Oh, yeah, the backstage oh, is a bit savage. That is very <laughs> shit. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. No offence, garage. Yeah, but yeah, it's not great. <laughs> if I remember rightly, the the route to stage is through the support, support dressing room or headline dressing room, whichever way you... Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. not great. Uh -uh. <laughs> not ideal. Wow. That's that's something I don't enjoy actually. A dressing room next to a stage. That's never fun. I don't like that. Because what you're looking, because especially when you're on tour and every night you're just getting this fucking loud music all the time. And what you, you know, oh my God, you're so right. Like a dressing room that is away from the stage is so important because you just need that bit of silence. Yeah, you know? just a bit of chill. 
Yeah, so true. Those, oh God, you just brought back so many memories of, you know, just being in that dressing room and just the music's blasting. You're just dying just for five minutes of peace before you go on. Oh God, there was, where was I? I think a couple of years ago, I was with an American band in Cologne. I thought, was it Gabor Denial, I think it is? Gabor Denial. Gabor Denial, yeah. yeah. Um, the dressing room is behind the stage in that venue and it is separated by a curtain. So I don't even have a door <laughs> to separate you from the noise. And there's not enough room side of stage to set up like a guitar world or anything for backline. So you kind of have to do all that in the dressing room. So you've already got like, what, three or four cases, you know, a boat with the guitars in and then like six or seven other people and then their stuff. And then there's no door. Yeah. It's just a recipe for disaster. Like, Oh, it sure is. And let's add disco loadouts to those. Oh, that's yeah. something. I have not missed at all disco loadouts. For anyone who's, who's listening and doesn't know what a disco loadout, it is a loadout after a show that is, well, well, a show that is followed by, immediately by, a nightclub. So you have to get your shit and get the fuck out before the nightclub starts. It's just the worst. But, yeah, no, you're right, Liam. Yeah, I always forget people listening might not know all these terms. But, yeah, <sighs> when you hear the term disco loadout, it's the worst because... Again, everyone's knackered. You're trying to load out after a show. You just want to get on the road to get some food or get to the hotel, and you've got to fucking get your gear <laughs> through this dark room with loud, annoying music after you've just listened to fucking loud music for hours, and everyone's pissed, and they're about 18, and they don't give a shit, yep. and they don't move out. They can see a fucking 8 by 10 coming. Don't, don't care. I'm just going to... When they start offering to help and they're oh. hammered, it's like, can I help? And it's like, please do not help. <laughs> I love that. We've had so many pissed fans at the end of a show who want to help us load out. And I'm like, I'm like, that's really lovely of you, but please yeah. fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to kill yourself or you're going to break my amp. And if you break my amp, you're fucking gonna die anyway. <laughs> someone's gonna die, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's so that's harsh, isn't it? Because they love you and they're a bit pissed. And they want to help, but they can yeah. barely lift the It always comes yeah, from yeah. a good place, but it's like you've got to approach yeah. it with that sensible mind, haven't you? It's like, no, you're drunk. Oh. If you hurt yourself, we sell one less ticket. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think my favourite one I've had was in uh, France, in Paris, at the Moulin Rouge. The show, there's like a cafe bar like venue next to that we did a show there and obviously i think it must have been like a friday or saturday night so it's really really busy in paris and there's obviously people queuing up to go to the moulin rouge and our bus is parked right outside it and obviously we've got all the cases are coming out so we start piling all these cases out and people are just sitting on them pushing them out of the way to walk through the street yeah. we come back out as well this was amazing i'm sure you've all experienced this too uh came back out after the show and even though you put out cones and everything behind the trailer. Oh, Someone had fuck. moved them and parked their car there so you can't open the trailer doors. And then no one knows where they are. No one's got a phone number. No one knows whose it is. It takes an hour for the police to get there. Well, this on this one occasion, we had like about six or seven local crew plus the rest of our crew. So say 11 people, maybe. Yeah. So just, you know, you put enough weight on the car over and over again, even with a handbrake on, you can break the handbrake and just roll it away, which is what we did. Really? Yeah. Wow. yeah. <laughs> the guy came back eventually and was quite pissed that his car was not where he left it. Oh, yeah. And everyone was like, well, oh, well, you fucking moved all this stuff and you parked it in a stupid place. What did you think was going to happen? Exactly. Oh, so many memories are coming back. 
well annoying ones yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that's the thing like i i remember all the frustrating parts of touring so fondly <laughs> like i love it about you know sending people on tour just to fucking learn some shit because you just become you've got to think on your feet and you've yeah. just got to be a problem solver and not be a dick about it you know just go right okay this is an issue let's just fucking fix it and not fucking moan about it and then you just crack on so yeah. that's why touring is just such a great character building exercise because yeah there's no fucking room or time to fucking just whinge about shit you've just got to sort it and that's good you know i just think that's a great quality to have Exactly. That is exactly it. Um, I think we need to have, obviously talk about um, gender disparity in the music industry, I think is a good one to talk about now. So see, I think it's starting to be addressed more and more um, by bands, and I think it's being addressed more and more by fans now as well. But in your opinion, what more needs to be done? How do people need to be more um, co-optive and active? and what could be done to like, I don't want to say level the playing field but um, do you know what I mean sort of bring that more in line so again with that question Liam are you thinking are you talking more about artists or people that work I think it's something that's prevalent in both to be honest I mean I know I've, I've worked with a few bands that have like boycotted certain lineups at festivals because there hasn't been enough of the um, in terms of a gender balance on the lineup mm -hmm. from there being female band members uh, or people of colour or anything else. And I think it's, it's even more prevalent, I think, in um, in terms of crew and touring personnel, mm -hmm. because I think it's somewhat seen as like a, a, a man's world when it's it really isn't. No, I mean, again, in all my years, I'm just going to say the cliche thing, you know what I'm going to say, but all those years of touring, you just don't know how many times when I've walked in the room, they assume I'm the girlfriend of someone, you know, and then they find out I'm in the band. They're like, oh, singer? I'm like, no, bass player. So it's, you know, the first <laughs> assumption is that I'm the girlfriend. The second one is I'm the singer, nut, nut. And then when I turn up to collect the fee at the end of the night, they are like, oh, what? I'm like, yeah, I'm the TM as well. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. like, oh right, really? And um, it's good. It's sometimes, you know, especially early on, a lot of people thought I came up against problems there, but no, in a way you get this weird level of like respect because they're going, oh, no, a woman's doing it. So yeah, let's just give her what she wants. I've got any problems. I don't want any problems. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah, you're right. I think when it comes to artists, it is getting a lot better because people are just more conscious of it. And um, I remember one all day I played with, actually it wasn't even Future Left, I was guesting, I was doing like a, a guest song on one of the McCluskey reunion shows mm -hmm. and I jumped up on stage and I remember the reviewer afterwards making quite a good point where there was a whole day of bands playing and I was literally the only female wow. to step foot on that stage wow. with the whole thing and I was just doing one song you know oh and it was like you're talking like 10 bands probably so and it was you know it was, a, it was only about two years ago just in London I was like fuck and there's like no one wow. um, but you're up. I think festivals are addressing it a lot better, and that's really important. What's really funny in my genre, the genres I've played in, you know, mm. you know, post punk rock, whatever you want to fucking call it, and all those bands. Yeah, again, so often I was the only female to step foot on a stage on a festival bill, um, and I still think there's a big problem. Like when I, it's a bit sad. I look out at our audiences, and there's still just it's just a sea of white guys a lot of the time, and. You know, we are getting more females at the gigs, which is great, and there's more diversity and, you know, people from BAME backgrounds. 
which is what we want. But I, st- I think rock music generally is still very white dominated. And I think that, yeah, and that's just yeah. that's everything from the artist to the audience to the crew. Um, and I think, yeah, we can do a hell of a lot more. Again, where I work, you know, in terms of, you know, BIM, you know, we're really making a big effort to, we're putting lots of resource, you know, that's, you know, money, focus, everything to just, you know, widen participation, really encourage, you know, um, people from, you know, areas, you know, which are kind of like maybe, um, well, you know, they struggle economically. We're trying to, again, address the gender balance. Like, for example, again, you know, when you look at our courses, majority of the vocalists are female, majority of the drummers are male, but it's getting better. You know, we're starting to get more female musicians through. But I'd love to see more female crew because when I have dealt with a female front of house, you know, or a TM, they're brilliant. There's like, you know, there's absolutely yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and I just think, unfortunately, there's it's just not encouraged enough, and that goes right back down to what happens at home, you know, their upbringing and also primary school because I think that message isn't loud enough there. So, you know, secondary um, education or higher education, like places like BIM, and there are other really good providers like us as well. We're doing everything we can, but if the desire isn't there from childhood because it wasn't encouraged, you know, we're going to really struggle to widen that pool. So, you know... Like already my daughter, she's only three and a half, but, you know, you can tell she's like, you know, pulling out pots and pans from the cupboard and hitting them with like, you know. Oh, amazing. <laughs> if she wants to play drums, great. You know, I'm not going to try and force her to like dance or sing, you know. Yeah, like yeah. yeah. If you want to hit pots and pans, brilliant. You know, and she loves cars and trains and she likes, you know, traditionally like what you call traditional, I suppose, male you know, interests or toys, whatever you want to call it. But mm-hmm. you know, I think there's a lot to be done at, at school, you know, primary school. But again, to encourage females to be on the road would be brilliant, you know. And again, I know there's a going a lot going against females there sometimes because people look at them going, oh, well, you know, you're going to go off and have babies and then what happens, you know, again, which is... This is that's something a, that I just, I find so ridiculous when people make, make that point like you've just said you, you, you have a daughter um and you're still touring as a musician you work in a like a a regular sort of like say nine to five education job, job as well like, yeah. yeah um but i mean i've worked with several bands who have you know all male uh band members that and have children and are married and have a home life no one has ever said that to them or you know it's never been something that's come up in conversation or in an interview or anything like that where they've gone Oh, but what what about when you want to have children? What are you going to do then? Mm, exactly. Yeah, so I think that's a, quite a big stigma there as well. And I also don't, mm. what's not fair, is I think sometimes when females do, you know, um, start a career as, you know, someone on the road, you know, whether they're a TM again or front of house, they, they get, I don't know, they, they not all of them. I don't think they all feel a pressure to become more masculine, but they then worry that if they come off the road, because if they do want to have children, that's great. There's nothing stopping them. But then there's that fear of, well, then how long till I can do that again? Or can I do that again? So again, it comes down to them having a partner that's obviously very understanding, mm-hmm. you know, do some well, more childcare than usual so that, that person can, can continue with their career. But I think that's a really tough one for the females, which is a shame because, you know, when they do get involved, they're brilliant. You know, I've seen some really impressive like I said, female techs and crew and really, yeah. really diligent, really organised. Again, it's just, yeah, it's just so, they're so small in number. It's such a shame. I did a very, very, um, like, quick one-off gig for Warpaint, like, a long, long time ago when I was just starting out as, like, touring. I did um, 
who was it through? It was through a merchandise company. I basically went out as their local merch rep for a particular show in Oxford, I think it was. I can't remember the name of the company now. Uh, it will come to me. Uh, but I remember getting there and uh, I was the only male member of the crew wow. there, which was like amazing. It really like it shocked me when I walked in because I just wasn't expecting it to happen at all. But it was amazing. Like, the show was incredible because obviously Warpet is a fully female band. And then I was talking to their tour manager afterwards uh, when I was cashing out who was saying that the band have, have just had strict policy for a very long time of only hiring female touring crew and they've ever they've had incredibly successful tours more so than when they were having um male crew members before which i thought was amazing Mm. now that's really good to hear because i think yeah we do need to um create those spaces and really encourage you know that go out of our way to hire in you know females because the Mm -hmm. more to do it the more influence others and it's just you know nothing but a good thing but yeah, well, that's really interesting. I mean, and again, when, when it comes to touring, <clears throat> when Ella was only nine months old, you know, sure, it was fucking hard, but, you know, we took her, I took her out on tour to Australia. I mean... Amazing. You know, that's I'm not going to cool. lie. It was cool, but holy shit, it was hard. You know, yeah. like, you know, it was probably the hardest thing I've ever done because, you know, when you're getting in at one or two, and it's not even because you've been boozing, it's because you know what it's like. In Oz, um, if you're headlining in the summer, you just go on stage later. By the time you're done, you pack up and everything. It's really late. I'm rolling in at two in the morning and she's nine months old, so she doesn't give a shit that I've, like, gone to (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, so I had to just take her with me and you get up at six and you're knackered. And then, you know, when you then get onto the, you know, plane to go to the next city and you kind of... Well, when you don't have a baby, you really rely on that little nap, you know, when you check in before sound, mm-hmm. you have a rest. But again, with a baby, uh-uh, you can't do it. That's gone. I mean, the last Melbourne show, I just remember walking into the apartment that was staying in and she was already asleep because my sister was looking after her. And I just, I just collapsed. Like on that kitchen yeah. floor, I was just like, just oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and I was also like, I did it. I fucking did it. I'm not doing that again, <laughs> you know. But I think, you know, bands who've got a bit more budget behind them, you can do it. Um, what what I would do, you know, if, if I ever had the chance to get maybe more money, is that you just, I know other bands get um, tour nannies. You know, you get yes. someone to help look after the kids so you can get some rest and you can do your show, and that's fucking great, you know. If I could get a tour nanny, poof, That'd be fucking perfect. Awesome. Done. I, I will volunteer had, um, for that job next year if you need Yeah. <laughs> Sounds fucking wicked. Great. Come and hang out with her for a week or two. Dude, that is your new fucking get rich scheme. I was going to say scream. Um, but yeah, you'd be great at that. Dude, it would be well fun. Count me in. Just let me know. Ooh. I'll tour manage you? and babysit. Oh, are we frozen? No, we're still here. Okay. Oh, I think Craig's frozen a little bit. Oh, no. He has I'm frozen here. a bit. Sorry, I'm yeah. here. Okay. I was there. He was just staying really, really still. That was good. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, well, just looking at the time, we should probably think about wrapping it up, actually, shouldn't we? It's, I think we've gone over an hour. I think. So, I, I haven't been timing oh, it. Oh, shit. Okay, sorry about that. That's fine. I mean, it's good, I think. I would, we're about an hour and 20, I think, at the moment. Okay. But I think that's good. I don't think it was uh, too difficult. Well, it wasn't difficult to talk about, all of that stuff. So hopefully it's not difficult to No, I love it. I mean, I could talk for another five hours about this. Yeah, same, same. If, like, um, well, you've got to come and do it again. 
I'd love to do it. Like, let's do it yeah, again. Yeah, definitely. Um, like it's it's so much like there's so much more. I've still got like a page of questions here that I have for you, which I'm going to ask you anyway. I just not whilst it's recording. <laughs> and I've got so many other stories, and I need time to think of those five venues again, Craigie. Yeah, you probably have a completely different list next time we speak. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's been so much fun and I'm I'm really honoured to have been asked. It's just been, yeah, great to talk. Likewise. Really Thank fun. you for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Talking Tory. Talking. <laughs>